Thank you all for your giving. Would you turn in your Bible with me, please, to the book of Genesis, chapter 14. This is um, the Sunday that we regularly honor the, um, the table of the Lord. And um, I'm very grateful that God has, uh, over the years, liberated us, and he continues to do this, into the, um, the more expansive power that he has reserved for this table. It is a table of grace. The Eucharist is the good grace of God. And uh, it is to empower us to go forward. It's not designed to be a time of mournfully looking back, but it is a time to go forward. And um, I'm very grateful for the various points of revelation that God has given to us concerning this. And um, I, I was thinking and praying yesterday about the various times in the Bible when elements of communion were celebrated and how that every one of them indicated a going forward. Every one of them indicated a blessing that prepared people to expand or to gain dominion or to have breakthrough. And this morning here in Genesis 14, we have truly the first real form of communion that is mentioned in the Bible. And it has to do with a man named Melchizedek, which is the king of righteousness, who came to greet Abram after a, um, after a great victory. And we'll talk about that victory here briefly. Now, many times you hear commentators and even preachers who say that Melchizedek was, a tight, was, was Christ incarnate in the Old Testament. And they say as their rationale, well, Abram paid tithe to him, and we only pay tithe to God. Well, uh, that, that sounds okay, but it doesn't make much sense. Many of you came up and paid tithe today. Les is standing right in front of you. You were paying that tithe in obedience to God. You weren't saying because you were paying tithe that either Les or I are God. And we have to recognize that the principle of tithing is something that God does God tithes. The Bible says that on many occasions. Tithing is a proactive sowing forward into something that is a, um, a, uh, uh, an investment, a, an investment, an anticipation of the provision and the victory that God is wanting to do in the days ahead. You know, we were trained growing up that tithing, you know, you do the math 10% and you give that based upon what you've had. And, and the reason you do that is so that you don't get cursed and that the devourer doesn't eat you, all those Malachi three things. And, uh, you know, and then you hope that because you've obeyed that, you're still in good graces with God and he'll keep on providing. I'm 
giving a layman's term uh, description of that, but that's just my opinion from spending many, many years sitting in pews just like you're doing right now, and that's what I gleaned, and I think that's pretty close to what most people think. But there was never anything that said, let's look at the way tithing is used through the Scripture. Let's see what tithing really is and how that it is always a sowing forward. For instance, when, uh, when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, the Bible says that God then sowed the fivefold gifts into his church, and it uses the term tithe. God tithed the fivefold gifts into the church. Now, what does that mean? Well, it meant that from that point forward, we were to begin to use the fivefold offices in a way that we had not been able to use as a church. God sowed that forward. God invested that forward gladly, delightedly. And it was God who was tithing. Figure that one out. Did that make the church God? Well, we're to be Christ-like. You know, we're to be his representatives. But tithing is, is the principle and so that's what guarantees meat in the house. That what, that's what guarantees as you're going forward that the devourer will not get you. You know, the other instance of the devourer that's most prominent in the Scripture was when Israel was walking toward the land of promise in circular fashion, and they were murmuring instead of proactively speaking and believing, and the devourer consumed them because of their murmuring. That's what Paul said. So it's got to be true. Now, for us, we've got to know that as we're proactively bringing all the tithe into the storehouse, that that is for meat in the house of God, the deeper things in the house of God, and for an expansiveness. And when we go forth, we're not griping and complaining and worrying and, you know, just murmuring, um, and, and, but we're speaking proactively. It's all about going forward. And, um, you know, if we are in that mindset, then the devourer cannot overcome. We overcome him or whatever that facet might be. So the fact that Abram surrendered a tithe to a man whose name was King of Righteousness, who was also the one who was a king of what would be Jerusalem, is a sign of respect. You know, what did Melchizedek bring to Abram? Melchizedek brought wine, and uh, of course, you know, it may have been Welch's grape juice. But he brought wine, he brought bread. <laughs> and, um, and he also released a blessing. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But this was really a type of communion. And um, you think about the other, the other measures of communion. You think about the first Passover. When Israel was told... You stay in your house, you put the blood of the, the sacrifice and the doorpost and the lintels, and you stay there, and I'm going to move through, I'm going to move through Egypt, and I'm going to, I'm going to destroy the firstborn, man and beast, and, but you're going to be preserved. What happened after that? Well, suddenly, <laughs> the people of Israel were being given 
money, being given jewels, were being given gold, were being given treasures. I mean, Egypt couldn't get them out of the land fast enough, and they were sowing this into them. They weren't stealing it. They were sowing it into them. And, um, you know, uh, they were to go then, and they were going to then see the miracle of the Red Sea that Monica mentioned earlier. They, they were going to see uh, the, the, the army of the, the most powerful nation on earth completely obliterated. They were, they were supposed to be going toward the land of promise. All of those things are blessings, proactive blessings that were coming out of that first Passover. You think about that. You know, there wasn't nary a word about, oh, you know, 400 years we've suffered in this place. You know, we've got issues. You know, we, we need a quiet space to, to talk about it all. I don't know that we'll ever get over it. No, they were looking forward. And that was the, that was the Passover, and that was the feast that was celebrated all the way up to Jesus' time. And the Last Supper, or the Lord's Supper, was that feast. And you think about it. In the Passover, the original Passover, the firstborn of Egypt died. In the Lord's Supper, our Lord, the firstborn, was dying, was going to die. And what's the proactive measure? That we would receive the perfect forgiveness of all of our sins, that we would be bought into by the blood of Jesus, adopted into the family of God, that we would be redeemed to the Father in heaven, that we would go forth through the power of the cross to take dominion wherever God would send us. And on it goes. So communion is always a going forward. It is always a provision and supply for conquest as we follow the Lord. And I believe today that as we look at this, this, this for the end of this first month of this year of wisdom, we are being equipped and supplied by God Almighty for the dominion and for the... Um, the overwhelming victories that we're all going to share together as we follow God and as we walk with Him. Listen, this, uh, this gathering in Genesis 14 is packed with amazing, with amazing uh, information and implication for us. You know, you remember the backdrop of this. A lot had skedaddled. You know, for whatever reason, he didn't want to live under Abram's shadow anymore. So he took off and went to Sodom. And, um, you know, that wouldn't be, my, it wouldn't be my place that I would want to move to. Um, and so Lot is there. And um, Abram was blessed by God. And Lot chose the left. Abram walked to the right. And that's what we need to keep doing. Well, Sodom was a wicked city even then. And uh, as was the case so often, there was a group of foreign kings that decided that they were going to get together and they were going to attack Sodom. And they did. And they took away all the treasures of Sodom and a lot of the people, including Lot and his family. 
So now word comes in Genesis 14, 13 to Abram the Hebrew, <laughs> and uh, they said, you know, your, your nephew has been taken. And so Abram gets together with his two friends that were there, who he was dwelling with there, and Abram arms his 318 uh, servants that were in his household, and they pursued after these kings that had basically decimated Sodom. And so they come upon these people, and Abram divided himself and his, his army uh, against uh, by night against these people, and he destroyed them. And he brought back people, and he brought back Lot and his family, and he brought back wealth, and he, he's coming out of that. An, un, an unspoken discussion might have been between Lot and Abram, and you would think that that kind of deliverance, and you think that Lot may have been, had sown his wild hairs enough, and he may have wised up and got back with Abram, but not so. He went back to Sodom. And so we're going to read some of this scripture, but that's the backdrop. So in Genesis 14, verse, um, let's see, 18. Uh, okay, I said everything else. Let's read it. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. Now, why did the king of Sodom want the persons? Because that city was known for its debauchery. You know, it'd be like, you know, if Las Vegas lost all of its money, they would not like it, an Ocean's 8 kind of thing, you know. But they would say, well, as long as the people keep coming, we'll build that money right back up. Because what goes on in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas, and that means your money, first of all. So Sodom, the king, he just wanted the people back. He, he said, Abram, you take all the treasures, but please give me the people back, because if I have this cast of ne'er-do-wells, um, I can soon repopulate whatever the treasury was. And Abram says, I'm not going to take any money I'm not going to take any people because I don't want any of you, pointing his finger, saying that you've made Abram rich. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Now, Melchizedek is something that we need to, uh, is someone that we need to discuss here for a moment because First of all, it's what the Lord directed us to do on this Communion Sunday. But I, I think that it's pertinent to what we're going to be experiencing in the nations and in this nation in this, in this year. Now, Melchizedek was a priest, the Bible says, and he continually referenced El Elyon, 
who is the Most High God. And um, this indicates that God had dealings with this man and that he knew who God was. Abram recognized this. And even the blessing that came from Melchizedek for Abram was a divine blessing. And God had people like this. Um, and, you know, the high places is what the Most High God, that dimension of God, that name of God, focuses on. Every one of the kings of Israel were judged at the end of their life or their rule by what they did in the high places or what they didn't do in the high places. Read it for yourself. It's very interesting. The high places represent the apex of the spiritual environment of cities and towns and regions. We as a church, through the power of Christ and through what his word promises, Jesus said that he was going to build his ecclesia and the gates, the hidden gates of Hades would not prevail against it. Jesus talked about the taking of strongholds. We've been studying in the Bible about wisdom and how the treasures of darkness are laid up for the righteous. God wants us to be led by him to go to the places of his choosing, to establish the power of the cross, to deliver the captives there, and to begin to establish the dwelling place of the Lord. Now, you're going to have to deal with the strong man that may be there. God, and remember what Jesus said in Luke 11, if you go on that mission, there's no drive-by stronghold taking. You better be commissioned by the throne to do that or don't do it. That's what Jesus said. But God has already laid before us a lot of places, a lot of missions. We're fasting and praying about one of them tonight for our country. And it's going to, listen, what's done in June and leading up to it is going to revolutionize this country in a way that the end times has prophesied. I don't know what all God's going to release, but that place is key. And it's going to, it's going to unlock things for that region and it's going to unlock things for Canada, and it's going to impact this nation through the election and through the season that's coming. That is stronghold dominion. And it's been directed by God with signs following. There are many of those types of things. You know, in the night, I've been praying a lot about, uh, you know, this morning again, 3.51, I woke up and I, I saw our, our team, whoever that's going to be, in the middle of the Amazon rainforest in July. And um, what God's going to do there with that convocation of the angelic armies is going to be a phenomenal thing that's going to impact Central America. It's going to impact Mexico. And through that bastion, that's the grouping. That's the grouping of what God's put together. Forget about international lines. That's the grouping. And, and, and that's going to cascade down through all of South America. God has called his church to do that kind of thing. And so El Elyon is active. The Most High God, that's one of the names of God, is active. And in fact, remember when we did this study and we taught about it, um, remember what the angels sang and said when Jesus, when Jesus was born, those angelic armies that came and their proclamations, they knew from an angelic perspective what that was going to mean. And what did they say? 
glory, the glory of God. That is our privilege to partner with Him. Glory to God most high on earth. Your victory is going to come, peace, and you're going to touch men and women with your good purpose. That's what the angel said. But right there at the beginning, they were talking about the Most High God. So God has always looked for a people who would partner with him in the strongholds. And so when Melchizedek comes from Jerusalem, which for them was a very important stronghold, I think we would all agree. I think we would all agree. And this man was God's friend there. And he starts talking about the Most High. And look what he says. You remember what we, we just read it. He says, blessed be Abraham. Wow. Of the Most High, the Father of all who walk in faith. Possessor, kind of, that's the word for jealousy, of heaven and earth. Now, blessing there. This was a transitional moment for Abram, which is probably why Abram tithed into it. Because blessing, every time blessing is used there, it was that term that we've studied, barach, which means to kneel before a superior, usually God, but in, it was often used to, to, for the kneeling before a superior officer in an army or something of that nature, and to receive a commissioning for the going forward in a new way. And, and you know, this was then patterned in the medieval times when people were knighted. You know, they would come and kneel and they would touch the, you know, the, the blade of the sword to the shoulders of the people and they would rise up and, hey, now I'm a knight, you know. They still kind of do that, you know. If somebody's really done something over in England, whether it was the Beatles or Elton John or whoever it was, usually art, art people, you know, they, they, they commission in that way. And even for those stoic British people. They don't have any qualms about dressing up in finery and going kneeling before the queen or whoever it would be. But this is what would happen. And it meant you're being commissioned for the going forward. This was a transitional moment which again speaks about the power of the bread and the wine. I think this is phenomenal. Now, you know, another guy who was somewhat of an odd friend of God, was a guy named Balaam. And remember, Balaam was, was also very conversant about the Most High God. In fact, you remember the story when Israel came out of Egypt and, um, you know, the Moabites wanted to hire Balaam to curse Moses. Now, the strange thing is that if you read the Word, you find out that God had already commanded Israel, don't attack the Moabites, don't attack the Edomites, because they are kindred of Esau, and I have promised them their land. So leave them alone. And that's, that's in the Word. It's good reading. So Moses had no intention of attacking the Moabites, but the Moabites didn't know that. So they tried to hire the Midianite Balaam to curse Israel. And so you, one, of the, one of the most phenomenal descriptions of God in the Old Testament came through Balaam. 
And the Bible says this. This isn't just me making it up. The Bible says that Balaam had the knowledge of Elohim. He, he had that word that, is, that means conversing with God, which is the first step of wisdom. He, he had the knowledge he could yada about. It's a double issuance. He could talk about God, the Most High. And, and he, he, he had that ability. And he said, I see him coming. I, and he describes God. And you say, well, does that mean he was a Christian? No, no, no. It, it, of course, Christian, that wouldn't have been. But was he a godly person? No, but God knew him. You think about the, the extremes God went through for this guy. You know, Balaam's got this thing. You know, hey, I can make a little moolah here. You know, they, they'll pay me well. And God says, don't go and curse him. Don't do it. Why did God tell him that? You think God was afraid of his curse? No. God was yadahing with this guy. Then, what else did God do? God sends an angel to stand in the way of Balaam and his donkey. I don't know if it was one of those wild asses that was thirsty or not. But his donkey and the donkey, we've got to keep them away from here. Um, but the, uh, the, the donkey stops. And then what else did God do? God lets the donkey talk to Balaam. God must have had a lot invested in this guy. I mean, if, if God didn't love him, if God hadn't known him, how did this guy describe God? And why was God going to these great extremes not to just fry the dude? Why? why? So Balaam also had this conception of the Most High, and, and it opened his eyes. And, you know, I'm not comparing him verbatim with Melchizedek. I believe God tried to initiate some measure of commune between this man and him. It didn't take, but God tried. Now, God has a lot of people. You remember when the disciples said, Hey, Lord, these people are over here, and they're casting out devils in your name, and they're healing. And Jesus said, I have a lot of sheep that you don't know about. And then when Elijah was having a, an emotional breakdown under the withering fire of Jezebel's words, you know, he says, I'm all alone here. And God said, there are 7,000 that I have hidden. You're not alone. So God has other people. And he had people like this, Melchizedek and Balaam. But the point is, that it was about the Most High. And there are people that God has earmarked around the world that he wants to use for his kingdom. Some of them are already uh, communing with God, and what God's calling us to bring is going to bless them and initiate them into something new. And um, there may be those that are kind of half in, half out, and God's going to reveal them as well. But I believe that as we are sent forth, we're going to be encountering in this year a number of these friends of God. And we've got to be ready and not ignorant. And here's another thing. 
We've got to be so secure, and Imani was saying something about this in the pre-service uh, worship gathering, that we are absolutely convinced of what God has called us to do. And um, that when other groups rise and when God begins to move in other people, that we, we aren't ignorant and immature um, to, to either curse them or judge them and God forbid take off and follow an abandoned course that God has given um, that's always going to be the issue and you think about it you remember Hannah uh, with uh, the, the mother that's going to birth Samuel her whole household was another woman who was popping out kids and it looked like Hannah was nothing and this woman over here was Fruit City, you know? And that was horrible. Remember Rachel and Leah? You mean, who's remembered out of all that mess? The one that remembered the grace partnership that God had given. And so you got to keep your perspective. You know, here, even here in Dallas, and in and, and what we do, we go to places and we, we follow where God leads us and we speak blessing over them, and we impart, and we give what we have to give, and hopefully those people are blessed, but we want to see them grow and develop. We want to see them thrive. That's our mission. That's our mission. And so, you know, I, I just believe that here's Abram, and here's this king coming, and this guy is blessing Abram. They're having a commune together. But Abram left there, and he was transformed, but he was going to move on still childless. You know, you think about this. Right after this, what's the first verse that Abram says in, in Genesis 15? After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. What's, what's he say? Lord God, what are you going to give me, seeing I go childless? That was always in his face. The father who walks in faith. The father of all who walk in faith. For decades, that was in his face and in his wife's face every day. And God knew it. Why was that? Because Abram, the father of many nations, had a mission to walk with God and to pattern that faith. His mission was, was to make the way for every other person who walks in faith to be able to walk in faith. That's why it says he's the father of all who walk in faith. He, in some ways, paved the way for our Lord to open up the right hand of the Father for us to know God in faith. He paved the way for Moses to be able to hear from the right hand of God. So what I'm saying is this year we're going to be encountering lots of people. This communion time today is going to be an impartation to begin to prepare us for this. We are going to receive a Barak blessing from God in some way in this transitional moment. And the year is before us. You know, the, the, the schedule's already come out. There are going to be a lot of other games, friendlies, that are going to be scheduled in there and I'm using that term loosely, we don't even know what the doors that God's going to be opening that we're not aware of yet. But we've got to be before him and be ready.
spiritually, physically, mentally, and let the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with our spirit. That's still working. In fact, I'm putting together several different primers for, to, to distribute during the seminar. One of them has to do declarations we need to make over ourselves every day regarding the Grace Partnership. And we need to be making those declarations because they're scriptural. And we need to be doing them because everything around us, everything in the world, in, in our carnal mind, which we need to continue to be submitting to subjection to the obedience of Christ, everything doesn't want grace to thrive. But we've got to insist that it is. And, and it is happening. But we've got to be so committed to our partnership with God that no matter who we meet, no matter what happens, no matter how God wants us to impart, no matter what exchanges unlock doors, that we keep our focus firmly planted on who He's called us to be and that we're going to be that and do that no matter what. Yeah, there are, I'll just be honest, I, I feel an affinity with Hannah. I feel an affinity with Abram. I feel an affinity with, with Rachel. I feel an affinity with so many others, with Zacharias and Elizabeth. I do. And it seems like all of those people and more that we can mention all had to fulfill a calling of God while some part of them feels incomplete. It's a promise, but you don't see it. And yet they have to look around and see it happening everywhere. See, God is in that. And you have to remain focused. You can't jump ship. You can't abandon purpose. You've got to keep on pressing. Because as Habakkuk said, or as the Californians say, Habakkuk, I, I don't know how they pronounce Hezekiah, but it's probably off too. Um, write the vision. Make it plain. Wait on it, for it will surely come. That's God's promise. So we come before this table, and, and I believe that this is a rhema moment. Um, it just came very prolifically, and I couldn't shake it. Um, and believe me, it wasn't for lack of other topics we could have talked about. That's what happens when you're writing leading up to a seminar. You uncover all kinds of nuggets of gold, and you say, Lord, speak on this, 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 this. But this is what God said. And we need to remember that communion is the going forward, the good grace of God. We are being supplied and commissioned to, to triumph. And every dimension of communion in the Scripture is always the precipice leading to great breakthrough and partnership with God. That's what God is releasing today. So when we come here to receive this, you need to believe for this. But you also need to shake off any any type of vestige of the darkness that our light is being targeted, has targeted, don't let that permeate you. We talked about that over the past few weeks. Listen, it's, it's, it's a continual, it's a continual, this is where when Paul spoke about wrestling against principalities and powers, what do they represent? Principalities and powers are not grunt demons. They control regions currently they have been given authority by that control and so when you're wrestling you're wrestling about dominion that God is leading you into the darkness that they control for a time 
is going to be barking at you. It's going to be spraying you if it can. It's going to be trying to deter you to go forward, uh, from going forward. So you've got you to keep speaking praise. You've got to keep declaring that. You've got to keep focused. You've got to keep that light shining. And it's up to you to do that. Nobody else can do that for you. I can't do that. Listen, I've got my hands full keeping it up for me and for what is represented for this church in the network. you got to do it. Oh, it's hard, Pastor. You just don't know, and I don't want to know. <laughs> That's your darkness. You overcome it. You know what I mean? Man, I've gotten off of teaching into meddling here. I better stop. All right. So when we come, recognize that God, think of the words, we are saints of the Most High God. High places have been laid before us by God's definitive directive. And um, there's a blessing, there's a Barak that's here for us. We are partnering with the jealousy of God, the possessor of heaven and earth. What God has given to us as saints, we are commissioned by him to be jealous over so that what God ordained, what God wanted, will be. Some other force is controlling it now. That's going to stop. The jealousy of God is intent upon his purpose. And we are that as children of Abram. And so we share that burden with God. And it's a good thing to share anything with God. So recognize that. We're blessed by God today. This table is going to prepare you. There were miracles. Uh, uh, when Lizzie was singing about miracles here, I, I just felt God release those miracles into people. Release whatever miracle it is that you need. The dunamis power of God, release it. It may be healing. It may be a restoration of strength in your body. It may be an unlocking of some confusing circumstance that has held you down for too long. A blockage that has held you back from being what God wants. God can obliterate that thing right now. Whatever it is you need, it may not be in the way you want it, but whatever it is you need, God can do it for you right now. So be ready to receive that and partner with God. And stay in that attitude of expectancy as we throughout this day prepare our hearts to pray tonight for a specific point in our country that God is wanting to visit with his power. I'm really excited about this. You know, God's so good to us, isn't he? Amen. So, Father, I've. I've tried my best to communicate what you said to do today. And now, Lord, it's not about my words. It's about what you want to do. And it's about what you have invited us to this table to receive. So I ask you, Father, that you will release the Barak blessing upon the wine and upon the bread. And may we commune with you, dear God. In a way, and in our heart, Lord, if there's any bitterness or any vestige, stench of darkness, we dip ourselves into that bowl of bitter sop, and we ask that you will alleviate that thing 
and that you'll cause us to triumph. Whatever it is you're wanting to release to us today, we receive it. And we thank you for the privilege of being able to partner with you. And we thank you for this, Father, for we declare it now in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, your firstborn who gave himself so that we might walk with you. Amen. Amen. Well, all right, I'm going to go and take the lid off. Please come and receive. Spend as much time as you want in prayer, and we'll see you tonight. God bless you all.